going to switch the vibes up a little bit today, and I'm going to start us off. My name is Zach Wright, and I'm hosted by John Mary Wilson. Today, the name of the game is Then There Were Four. We're going to recap a very entertaining second round of the playoffs, and then we're just going to jump right into the conference final predictions and discuss the matchups and key things we're looking out for as well. So, Jameer, I think we might as well start with a recap of the West series. Hmm. All right, so... Uh, I guess we could start off with that bludgeoning that was the Phoenix Suns and uh, Nugget series. Uh, so that was that was that was bad. That was rough. I feel bad. I feel so bad for the Joker. <laughs> um, I think that Phoenix showed their best hand and really overpowered Denver. Um, there's not much to say about that series, to be quite honest. Um, you know, they, Denver put up as much of a fight as they could. I really wish I could have seen Jamal Murray in that series because I feel like um, there were some entertaining moments in that series. But I feel like ultimately uh, with Jamal Murray, that would have been a dog fight because Jamal Murray would have been going, you know, crazy. I feel like in a series like this um, and he would have had something to prove just as much as Devin Booker. So, um, yeah, just just sad to see. You know, you hate to see it. Just teams with one great player getting overpowered by teams that are just better. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I agree. There isn't too much to say just because, like, as you mentioned, it was a bludgeoning, a clean sweep. But um, I just want to mention the, that series was a Chris Paul masterpiece. And then he capped off game four with that that amazing run where you just hit like four or five straight um, free throw line mid-range jumpers off the pick and roll. That was just, it was fun to watch that. Bridges definitely showed out and he looks like he's, he proved his worth and he's like open to the eyes of a lot of casual fans who may not have known what he does, what he brings to the table. So yeah, I'm excited to see how he, how he continues to grow from that series. As you mentioned, Jokic did his thing. He averaged 25, 13 and six. But, um, you know, it wasn't enough. I just want to shout out Aiton, too, because Aiton's been great defensively this entire playoff run. And I know his counting stats don't, like, show that he's been, like, you know, a stalwart in the paint. But if you look at, you know, if you watch the game and see where he's positioning himself and see how he kept himself from fouling the hell out of Jokic, like Nurkic was doing in the Portland series, Aiton was able to guard him effectively without fouling him. And that was a major, major aspect into why they won the series. And although Denver was hurt, although Denver was hurt, missing Murray and Barton was was he yeah. came back and played three games. He was hurt as well. Yeah. I still yeah. think, just based on what I've seen and what we're continuing to see, which we'll get into later, I think the Suns still would have won that series. Maybe would have won seven. I think it might have fit my son, our Suns and six predictions more realistically. But I would have gave I would have gave Denver seven just because. You never know. Murray can go off and score 50 every other game again. So, yeah, that's my only thoughts on it, really. And just it proved that Portland's defense was, in fact, pure shit. Because oh, yeah. Denver ran into the Suns, and then the players not named Jokic suddenly were not as good. Mm-hmm. And MPJ, who, granted, had back injuries flaring up at a certain point. But Bridges had that boy in the torture chamber. So... Yeah, I think we can move on to the Clippers and Jazz. Oof. Um, I um before we get to that series, and I really, I'm really excited to talk about that one too. Um, I just want to make a quick note about that uh the Phoenix series. 
I personally think that that definitely would have gone to seven. And I feel like it could have gone either way if both teams were at full strength. Like if they would have had a, a healthy Will Barton, a healthy Jamal Murray, and a healthy MPJ from the start, I could definitely see uh, Denver winning that series. Yeah, but, it's wonderful. Yeah. And that, that just that that to me is just a testament to how much injuries and, and we'll talk more about that, too. But I feel like that's just a testament to how much injuries have impacted this season and these playoffs. Like, I think this might be the most um, injury uh, injury uh, impacting uh, playoff that we have seen at least in a very long time. because. Um, yeah, injuries have just injuries have really taken the life out of certain teams and like completely uh killed teams. Um we saw it with the Lakers in the first round. We saw some of it with Miami in the first round, even though they would have still probably lost that series anyway, just because Milwaukee was far superior. Um yeah, but I think injuries have shown their face and have continue and are going to continue to show their face um so yeah um uh, speaking of injuries let's get into this clipper series what what are your what were, what were your immediate thoughts about this clipper series before we get into that i just want to respond to your injury thing i do think people are just using the sped up timeline of the offseason to the into the next season as an excuse you can look back 2019 the Warriors literally lost because they're because of injuries uh 2015 the Cavs lost because Kyrie and Kevin Love are out like these things happen all the time uh 2018 the Rockets probably were gonna be champions but Chris Paul got a hamstring injury so I mean yeah it's unfortunate that's happening it seems like a lot but it only seems like that because we have the backdrop of the short offseason as like something like something to look back at and then this like also interesting to thing to think about is like um a lot of WNBA players and WNBA fans responded to LeBron LeBron uh, blaming the shortened season saying that they they play year round all year all day every day like they're constantly once the WNBA season ends they're overseas in Russia or Spain or wherever 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 they want to go so they play all year round and you know it's not necessarily a conversation for them so I did think that was interesting and I just that made me realize too, like, you know, the, the shortened season thing is really just a bunch of, I mean, it does impact, impact their health and all that, but saying that it's the reason why these injuries are happening is honestly a bunch of hoopla in my eyes, just cause like every year, every year someone important get, gets hurt or a lot of important players get hurt no matter how you slice it. And they just, a lot of times they typically will play through it cause everyone wants to win like Harden, which we'll get into later playing through his injury. Uh, MB playing through his injury. Like, you know, it happened. So, but yeah, that's my take on the injuries. Um, well, I'll add to that conversation because I think this is, a, I think this, this part before we get to the Clippers and Jazz series is an important conversation to have too, because uh, I think that the injuries, um, like, I agree with you. I don't like injuries as an excuse. And I don't think the shortened season is something to blame either because, um, when you look at the WNBA and, and the WNBA, as you pointed, you know, accurately at with their response. Um, also, when you think about 
why they play overseas too a lot of times they play overseas because they have to to make more money because in the nba you play your season you don't have to play um olympic games you don't have to do anything else but play an nba season and you'll be set for life so i i agree with that point and i agree with you know your point about it being bogus and yes injuries do impact seasons and you know champions but not like this and not on the scale that i feel like this season has had like i feel like and we'll talk about it at least two series in this round were impact no three of the four series no all of the series all of them, yeah all of them, all of them <laughs> were impacted in some way in you know in bigger parts more than others by injuries um the first round we saw some of it um and i think it like <clears throat> ultimately injuries usually do have something to do with a team's path but i feel like it's taken place earlier and that it's taken place a lot more often where there's so many question marks, even going into the conference finals, which again, we'll get into, but um, with the conference finals, it's impacted and it's made its way all the way up to this point, at least in the West. So um, yeah, I just, I think that, um, I think that the league will take a look at certain things, even though, again, I agree the shortened season isn't to blame. I do think that there needs to be a look at a shortened season, you know, based on view, like viewership and for the fan, like the average fan and that kind of stuff. And just uh, just because the, the regular season does get a little dry sometimes with it being 82 games and you don't really need 82 games sometimes it feels like. So, yeah, I feel like, the 82 game season will be looked at as something in the future. Um, and I think that the season will be shortened in the future and they'll look at a lot of different things. Like I think this season will change a lot of things regardless of if the shortened season was responsible for injuries or not. So yeah, that's something to really pay attention to. And I think that is something that is definitely a good conversation to have. Um, so yeah, I think, now that we've gotten that off our chest, you have anything else to add before we go on? No, I think we should actually go back to go on to the Utah and Clippers yeah. series. We said let's go back to it like three times. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, what what were you? What was your impression on that series? Because I, 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 it was interesting to me. Um, I just want to say, although I did think Dallas was going to be the Clippers because the Clippers are just confusing. I did know. I did. I didn't know that whoever won that Clippers Dallas series was beating the Jazz. And I did say Clippers in six. I didn't expect it to play out the way it did, but nonetheless, I just knew the Jazz. We just this group. I don't know why people keep leaving them, bro. Like their wing, like I mentioned, their wings just aren't enough. Like Go Bears. Zach Zach Will mentioned this on his podcast, um, but Go Bear and Royce O'Neal are the only starters who are actually like plus defenders. Everyone else is average or bad especially with Mike Conley being older at this point, he's not as quick footed as he once was. He's now probably average at defense. Like you don't hear anyone talk about it. Mike Conley's but to lock so-and-so up. That just, that's not a conversation we have anymore, but. Yeah, injury too. He was, yeah, he was injured as well. He was out a lot of, he was out a couple games. Yeah. So 
But yeah, I mean, shout out to Paul George for stepping up when Kawhi got hurt. We all know the playoff key thing. He slayed his Utah Demons. <laughs> Joe Ingles did not hold him back, which was, you know, much to my surprise. I thought Paul George is going to fold under the pressure, but he came alive, did his thing, especially when Kawhi went out. He stepped up, which is major. You know, uh, we got to talk about that Terrence Mann game. <laughs> that 39 points was beautiful. The man. Probably, yeah. probably the, the best, probably my favorite unexpected uh, explosion in the playoffs I've seen in a while. That, that one definitely was just like, you know, like, wow, this is amazing to see. Like, no one would have thought Terrence Mann was going to take his team to the next round, but he did. And I got to say, Ty Lue, he we talked bad about him in our last episode, but he proved us wrong in his thing. Ty Lue made the right, he pushed all the right buttons, made all the right calls. Like having forcing Gobert to guard the paint or the weak side corner was just genius coaching because Gobert was in no man's land the entire series. It took him out defensively, and I feel like it messed him up in the head a little bit and had him looking subpar offensively as well. Like he had Nick Batum and Marcus Morris, and even at times the point guards were guarding him, Terrence Mann and Patrick Beverly. And this man, Gobert, was doing a whole bunch of nothing in the paint. Like he was looking sorry. <laughs> so shout out to Tyler with that. Uh, I mean, in terms of the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell did his thing. Bojan Bogdanovich, he showed up in the one game where Donovan Mitchell was, was garbage, or at least inefficient, I should say. Bojan showed up. The Jazz lost that game, but. Shout out to them, too. Everyone else didn't really do their part. I mean, Jordan Clarkson came in and chucked up shots, which is what he gets paid to do. And he scored more or less. So I'm not going to say he didn't do his job, but the Jazz need to make some moves. They need to find a wing who can actually play both sides of the ball for the entire game. Like, Royce O'Neal is a great defender, but offensively he's pretty – He's below average. He had a, a solid series. I think he averaged 11 a game in the series, which is, like, good for him. But if, if, you, if he's your best wing, defensive wing, he's going to be on the floor a lot. You are, ideally want your best defensive player, your best defensive perimeter player, to be able to put the ball in the basket since he's going to be out there so much. So, I don't know. The Jazz need to – they're close. They got the first seed. They just need to make some, some changes. They need that, that two-way wing to come in and change their fortunes because, like, like I said – just to, defensively, they don't have someone who's going to stick both Paul George and Kawhi. And even when Kawhi was out, it didn't work out. And Gobert is not helping in those actions because that's he's not comfortable stepping. And Gobert is, Gobert is like 7'2". Once he steps like seven, seven, seven feet, two inches away from the basket, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he's just not comfortable being too far from the basket. And that showed up in every game of the series. But, yeah, those are my thoughts on it. I'm just glad I predicted that right because I was a little, I was, I wasn't sure, but you know, Utah, Utah, just I had a feeling they were gonna sell, and they sure as hell did. Now, what's you, Jameer? What are your thoughts? Oh boy, Utah, Utah, Utah. I picked them in six, and boy, do I regret it. I was right about the Clippers. I knew the Clippers were gonna win that game seven. Hey, they they held on and did what they had to do, and then. Um, just a complete sell job. Um, and it's ironic because the exec, as you said, we, t- we talk trash about Ty Lue. And then the thing that I cited as the thing that would kill the Clippers ultimately was the thing that actually won the Clippers the series, which was Ty Lue's coaching. Um, when we talk about 
uh, the, 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 the Rudy Gobert situation, that was that 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 game six was just pitiful in every way. Like um, them them losing to a Paul Georgeless Clippers team to begin Kawhi with. Team? Yes, well, Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi-less, uh Clippers team, um, especially in your home your own building. That's just that's 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 bad. And then it's worse when you're up huge on the road, and it's like. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's get ready for game seven. And then he's blowing bad, like very bad. When you see Kawhi, like Jordan Clarkson, I don't know why. I don't know why Jordan Clarkson didn't get to play like much playing time. Because when I see that lineup of what, what was it? Batum, uh, Terrence Mann, Paul George, Pat Bev, and Reggie Jackson. When I see them lighting up, my lineup, I just try to match them up, and I, I take Rudy Gobert out of the game. Rudy Gobert has to come out of the game early when he sees that lineup lighting them up. Because as you said, no, you know Rudy Gobert, he looked like he looked like a lost child. He, he he could not figure out what the hell to do. He's like, oh, do I go here? Do I go here? Do I stay in the paint? Like he's in the paint. Everybody's at the line. Everybody's at the three point line, just lighting his ass up. Whoever he wasn't guarding was was hitting it. And it's like, oh boy. They got Pat Bev out there shooting clutch threes. You know it's bad when Pat Bev is hitting clutch threes. And we know how much you hate Pat Bev. Word. Oh my God. I can't, I can't even front. He showed up. I can't how, how the hell do you like Quinn Snyder? Like Jordan Clarkson was playing very well in the first half. I don't know why he didn't just swap them and make that work. And I mean, Mike Conley didn't play that well either. So I, I would have did something. You got to do something. I don't know, like the the switch did just didn't flip in his head. It was it was it was the most confusing thing I've ever seen. It's just like, like hello, why? <laughs> like he just he just did not get that Rudy Gobert, the defensive player of the year, couldn't defend at all in that situation. Yeah, you got Reggie Jackson hitting floaters over him, going right at him. Mm-hmm. Attack like looking for him, and then they got the putbacks too. We can't forget those. He got like three yeah. putbacks on him. One was a dunk. <laughs> like and Terrence Man was wide open half the time. He's lighting you up. I don't care what you saw. Uh, uh, Tim Legler said it. I don't care what you saw on the scouting report and what you got on there. But that night, something's different. You mm-hmm. got to adjust. And Quinn Snyder just did not adjust. He just did not. And um, this goes to tell this. This says a lot about um, Ty Lu. Um, Ty Lu's question has been questioned a lot, um, and I'll get more into it. But he's did, he's already done something that no no other Clippers coach has done in his first season. Mm-hmm. He's a champion. Even when he's been confusing with his lineups and things of that nature, he still got it done against the Dallas in the Dallas Mavericks. And he also accomplished when when he won a championship, he accomplished a you know a tremendous feat. So um, he, I think this series kind of just proved how great a coach he is, and how right the Clippers were in making that decision. Um, I'm still kind of sad looking back at it, and I'll talk about this when we get into the Sixers series specifically. But I really was sad when we didn't get Ty Lue and we got Doc Rivers. 
but and now I'm it, it, it's even more depressing watching things <laughs> unfold the way they did. So it's 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 pretty depressing. But yeah, I, I just I just psych coaching. I think Quinn Snyder just I don't know what was going on. He just like um, Donovan Mitchell's Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley's injuries killed uh, the, uh, killed Utah as well. As you said, the lack of wing, uh, the lack of firepower at wing is 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 tremendous. Like they they don't have real, they don't have much athleticism at the wing position either. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, Bogdanovich, Angles, shoot, yeah, they all skill. They all skill guys. None of them are like Royce O'Neal is the only like wing, like legitimate wing that you have that has some athleticism. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, they don't have any athleticism at the wing position. And uh that killed them and Quinn Snyder not adjusting and Ty Lue making all the right switches was the key. Um so the East. I think Weird. we should just Get to the Sixers Atlanta because we mentioned it a few times. I think we might as well get to it, bro. I guess I'll start it off since you just finished up with Jazz Clippers. Go, go, for, go, go, for, go for it. Go for it. That series definitely was uh, a surprise, to say the least. I think everybody and their mom thought that Atlanta was going to go down at some point. I thought Atlanta was going to lose in five because Philly just – had Embiid and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. And, you know, I just thought that they were the better team. And Embiid showed out. The man averaged 30-something on a torn meniscus in, like, 13 boards, I believe. So Embiid did his thing. And then I'll get into – I'll let you get into Ben Simmons, but (laughs) he didn't show up too well. He, He didn't show up at all. Uh, on the offensive end, defensively he was great, but on offense he was such a minus that like it kind of evened out as him being like average. And then Seth Curry ended up being the second best player on the Sixers, which no one ever would have predicted at any point in time. But he had an amazing series: twenty-one points per game, sixty-one percent from the field overall, fifty-nine point six from three, which you know round up as sixty percent from three. So that man was balling. He was balling hard. He was doing everything in his powers. But, you know, it just wasn't enough. And I mentioned this in our group chat that we, you know, we talk about basketball in, but this is probably the worst meltdown in the Embiid era. That's <laughs> sad to say. Like, 2018 was an arguable one against the Celtics with no Kyrie and no Gordon Hayward. But, I mean, I wouldn't – I'd say this is worse because that year they weren't winning the championship anyway. But, um, yeah, this is definitely the worst one. The championship was like – it was winnable this year. It's very winnable. They can take on the Bucks, but instead they chose to not fight, not try at certain points. And then in the last game, they got sent home by Red Velvet. <laughs> like, you know, bro, that's just pitiful. I'm sorry. Atlanta just wanted it more. Uh, the bench minutes from Gallo and Lou Will is honestly what won Atlanta the series, because when those two came in, great things were happening. Uh, you know, Trey Young played well numbers-wise. He was very inefficient which leans into why I thought Atlanta was going to win or Philly was going to win because Trey Young was going to be running into an army of defenders who were built to, who were built to stop a player, like a small guard, like him, like Ben Simmons, Matisse Thybul, 
Uh, Danny Green didn't do too well before he got hurt, but, you know, in theory, Danny Green would be okay. And then even George Hill can keep up some for, for a little bit. And, but yeah, the different, the key thing here to me is that one team's point guard kept fighting and having confidence and leading the charge. Other team's point guard folded and cowered and, and they lost. Because Trey Young, despite his bad, he had a lot of games where he was, he didn't average 40% from the field in the series. Like he was, he was breaking hella shots, but he kept fighting and kept shooting. He understood his team needed him to be that guy. And he like he led them through thick and thin. And that 39 point game he had in game five is a biggest example of that. Because they were down 26 and traded and quit. And he started hitting shots eventually and they won. And even in game seven, he was like three for 19 or something like that. And then he started hitting shots and they won because he'd never quit. And I wish the viewers could see this Jameer's face palming his life away. <laughs> I think his forehead skin might be sore at this point because <laughs> this man is just going in shambles. But yeah, I'm let you go in on the Sixers because, uh, or just the series in general, because I think you need to get this off your chest. Well, welcome to Cancun, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All my Philadelphia viewers, we're here. We have arrived. Um, I'm going to start game five because I think that right there was the beginning of the end. Uh, and I also paid my hard-earned money <laughs> to go there. I went to game five with all of the expectation in the world that we were going to win that game. Every expectation in the world that we were going to win that game. No thought, mom, that, no thought crossed my mind that the Atlanta Hawks would go in this building tonight and win. That the crowd was booming. It was loud. It was fantastic. The energy was great. Dr. J and AI were in the building. It was phenomenal. We came out. And we came out running. We, 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 we got out to a hot start. We were up to 22 by half. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is a runaway. We're going to go to Atlanta, and we're going to wrap this up. We said six, and that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is over. This is a wrap. And then Lou Will came in. He started getting easy ones. They put four con cork miles on this man. And, boy, was that a mistake. He lit four Kyle Korkmaz's ass up. He's Time hitting. Out, Time out. I just want to know why the Sixers, who rostered Lou Will for years, all of a sudden thought that Furkan Korkmaz was the man to guard him. Like, they don't know what the hell he does. Furkan Korkmaz, his unathletic self, they put him on Lou Williams, and Lou Williams lit his ass up. Quite literally. He's hitting mid-range jumpers. He's taking it to the cup. He's doing whatever the hell he want to do. And the lead started to dwindle a little bit. And I'm thinking, okay, here's Atlanta's run. This is, this is, the, I was expecting them to cut the game down because that happens. It's playoff basketball. Teams ain't going to quit. Um, I'm thinking, okay, like they were still up by like 19 at the end of the third. And I'm like, okay, cool. All right. You know, we're still up 19. They made their little run. Now, when our starters come back in, we're going to bust their ass and we're going to get out of here. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, the Sixers 
Like the bench, every time the bench was on the floor, it was pain. It was pure pain. It was awful to watch. George Hill, I don't know why he was on the floor to begin with. Tyrese Maxey should have had all his minutes. All of his minutes. All of them. Every minute George Hill was on the floor, Tyrese Maxey should have been on the floor. He should have been playing 25 plus minutes a night because we needed him on offense. When uh, when Joel Embiid wasn't on the floor and Tobias Harris wasn't on the floor. Tobias Harris, even with the bench unit, was trash. Tobias Harris couldn't get a bucket. He couldn't buy a bucket. Um, you got Matisse Stiebel. He hits two threes in the whole game. Um, they're scared. Like, the whole team was playing hot potato with the ball in the fourth quarter. Every time somebody touched it, oh, I don't want to shoot it. You shoot it. No, 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 you shoot it. No, you shoot it. Then it would get to do, it would get to Tobias Harris. He would try to, he would try to ISO and he would, he would get nothing because he's unathletic and he's, he's, he's a shot creator who can't create a shot. So, um, yes, he would miss or he would give it up. Ben Simmons, you know, you already know that story. He's either going to get fouled, miss his free throws, or he's going to pass it. Joel Embiid on one leg, he's tired. So he's going to give it up. And he was light. He was lighting Clint Capella's ass up. He gave him 24 and 10 in the first half. So I don't blame him. Seth Curry was the only person who was willing to take a shot outside of Joel Embiid. And that was frustrating as hell. Shake Milton, what the hell was he doing? Every time he touched the ball, oh, I don't want it. You, hey, you shoot it. You shoot it. I'm like, oh. And slowly but surely, the Hawks came chugging. And I'm thinking, okay, the Sixers are going to do something at some point. The, 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 lead, the lead slowly dwindled to about, I want to say, 12. I'm like, okay, the Sixers are going to do something. The Sixers are going to do something. They're going to do it. We at home. It's game six. Ain't no way they can blow this. No way. It, they cut it down to about nine. I'm like, all right, this ain't no way. And they got to like six. I'm like, no, they're not going to do this. And by the time they cut the lead to like one, you could hear a pin drop in there. And when I tell you, like, the, the, you thought that you thought like the, the ground was shaking in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter, we was quiet because we already knew what was about to happen. We, we it, it, it just it was dead in there. Mm-hmm. And then they took the lead and we ain't never we ain't never see the lead again. <laughs> oh, my God. That was when I knew. Because before then, the you know, game one, all right, they had game one. They they bust, they whooped our ass from the gate and they held on to their lead. Okay, they got it. We won game two and three. All right. They snuck away with game four. We was up 18. That was an admiration. They snuck away with that. Cool. They got that. They ran home with it too. So I'm like, all right, that was an admiration. We were the better team. We're gonna win. But when you're the better team in a series and you let too many games get away. This is what happens. Um, your best player is injured. Everyone on the team, except for again, Seth Curry, who I, I, I give all my praise and shout out to because he played his ass off. I have nothing bad to say about Seth Curry at all, except for his defense is trash, but that's that he's small. I don't expect much. Um, when you are the better team, you can't let games get away in a playoff series. You're in the bat, you're in the NBA. This is the best league in the world. It doesn't matter who you are. We were the better team. Um, game one was, you know, again, an admiration. 
They got a huge lead, and they won it. Game two, we dominated. Game three, we dominated. Game four, we were up 18. You don't give up an 18-point lead by no means. Then you come back and give up a 26-point lead. That's terrible in your building. In your building. You lost three games in your house. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know how many years it's been, but over a span of time, the Sixers have won 80% of their games at home. I don't know the exact number, but I know for a long time they've just been dominating at home. And I, and I know you, you just, like, they have one job. I was begging them to get the number one seed all year just so they had to, just so they could avoid Brooklyn and Milwaukee. That was the point. It was lined up perfectly. Brooklyn gets hurt. They get eliminated in game seven by Milwaukee. So Milwaukee and them have been beating each other up. So Milwaukee is beat up, but they beat the team we didn't want to see. It's perfect. This is it. As you said, this was the time. This was the one that we had to get. Everything lined up perfectly, except for us doing what we had to do. We had to do our job. Everything else worked out. We had to do our job, and we didn't do it. And I put the blame, I put the blame on Doc Rivers. I put the blame on the bench. And I put the blame on Ben Simmons. Why do I put my blame in these places? I put my blame on Doc Rivers because I haven't even gotten to game seven yet. But I'm putting the game, the blame on Doc Rivers because um, when you look at this team and you look at this situation, what does it remind you of, Zach? Off the top of your head, what does it remind you of this year? What does it remind you of? Given the fact that Doc Rivers is the coach, it's looked like a real Clippers, Clippers uh, letdown to me. And the one, and, and you're thinking of the one that happened last year specifically, right? Yeah, that was that was foolishness. Mm-hmm. I think last year is definitely probably the saddest, the saddest of the Clippers run for Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. And, and this is this this to me was the Clippers 2.0. This was. It, it had all the feeling of the Clippers situation yeah. because, and it, you know, just in crunch time and it keeps, listen, you don't know how to close the deal. Mm-hmm. He didn't close the deal. <laughs> he, you were the better team. And in multiple situations, you couldn't put a young group away. Like, like, like for example, last year, we were having conversations about, is this Denver team ready to do something? And when they beat the Clippers, we were like, oh, yeah. Because we had the same questions about Atlanta. And what did they do? They beat a Sixers team who everybody thought was a championship contender, who everybody thought was going to send this team home with ease. And it was because there was no heart. No heart. The team, the team that he adopted didn't have the temperament for the type of team he needs. I feel like he needs a team with a vocal leader mm-hmm. on it. When he won the championship, he had Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Kendrick Perkins, 
you know, guys on a team that can galvanize the troops, guys who can incite and inspire a crowd. You know, he isn't the type of guy to do that. He just, I think, when you talk about the 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 you know the board, like drawing up plays and all that kind of stuff, he's great. But when it comes to heart and temperament, he just wasn't the right fit for this team, and that's why I wanted. So I was I was kind of concerned like I had my concerns in the offseason and I, I don't know if you remember this but I wanted Ty Lue I originally wanted Ty Lue because I was concerned I, I thought that Doc Rivers needed a mental break from the game and I also thought that just his temperament he, he he's not somebody who can motivate and move people to do more than they they should be doing because you see I think with Brett, my problem with Brett Brown was I felt that we were below the bar. Now I think we're at the bar. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we are at where we're supposed to be. Like, talent-wise, us being the number one seed is not an aberration because I think that we were talented enough to do what we needed to do, to, to be the number one seed. But in moments when we need to step up and finish, you know, a guy like Nate McMillan, pushed his team with guys who who were troopers to be above the bar and to be better than what they were and to be the team that they weren't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a big difference. <clears throat> when we talk about the bench, um, and, and, and a part of this is Doc Rivers' fault, again, I think when the bench comes on the floor, our whole situation died. We, we I was praying that we... Like when 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 Joel and B step off, like the moment Joel and B step off the floor, and Seth Curry steps off the floor, I'm just praying they don't blow us out. I'm just praying they don't kill us and go on a crazy ass run because our bench had no chance against their bench at all. Even with Matisse Thibault on the floor, our bench had no chance, especially on offense. Because the thing is, we couldn't create a shot at all. Like, and and that's where I do give Ben Simmons credit because he was he was the only guy who could create shots for these guys legitimately or just, you know, Joel and B getting double teamed. But they couldn't create a shot at all. And Tyrese Maxey at least was trying to get to the rim and trying to do some things mm-hmm. where we have a bunch of shooters and stuff like that and guys just trying to run around screens and get open. So our bench just died. Dwight Howard, nothing but some rebounds. Um, and then Ben Simmons, as you said, um, one man had confidence, one man didn't. I think um, I blame him more. I blame the bench more so than him for more for more of the games. But I think Game Seven specifically was his fault. Him and Doc Rivers' fault. Um, and it was about confidence. It was about heart. And that's where we lost the series. Um, I, I point to a specific moment. The, the moment that Joel and B said was the one that killed us. Um, when he hits the drop step, beats Danilo Gallinari and passes it to Matisse Seibel. Um, that is the one, you know, that's the one that Joel and B pointed to as the one that killed us. Um, I agree. And, uh, other things like just little bonehead mistakes in, in crunch time, just us not being prepared for the moment. Like 
Matisse Thibel following Kevin Horder at the three-point line was foolish. That was huge. That blew – that damn near blew the game right there. And then, um, as, as I said, Hart. Like, Danilo Gallinari, um, during a timeout right before the next possession, after that foul, um, you can see Danilo Gallinari, like, calling out his teammates and saying, yo, let's go get this. Mm-hmm. We got this, this, that, yeah. and third. I didn't see that. And then he strips. He made the play of the game to seal it. And he he strips a Joel Embiid, who's bigger and stronger than him, who's been cooking him the whole series, strips him, gets a, a breakaway dunk, and seals the series. Once he did that, I'm like, yeah, this this might this might be it. Um, and it was by heart. It came down to heart. The Sixers didn't have no heart. They the bench was horrible. It was it was it was a it was a shit show. And now our season is over. And to be quite honest with you, um Daryl Morey had a great offseason. Um but I am a bit concerned because I don't know where he's where his head is at. And I don't know because Daryl Morey is known for making big big moves, mega moves. Uh, so I, I am I am concerned. I have my concerns about what he will do. Yeah, as a Sixers fan, because especially because we are close. So mm-hmm. that's that's my two cents on the entire series. I think yeah, just a lack of heart and yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah, we don't have to get into the whole offseason thing, but I do want to point out two things that connect to what you're talking about. The big difference between Ty Lue and Doc Rivers is Ty Lue, he, he does make adjustments. Like we were, when we were questioning him in the, last two, in the last two rounds, we were questioning some of his early, early decisions, but he did realize that those early decisions he were making weren't working, and he made changes. Versus Doc Rivers, who sticks with, he sticks with his guys no matter what the situation is, he's going to run with his guys. And that is good and fine and dandy, and it helps with those, it helps with your main players staying confident and believing in themselves. But when one of your players hasn't believed in himself, has not believed in himself in a playoff situation in the last three or four years, that can be problematic when he starts shutting down on you, i.e. Ben Simmons, who completely shut down on the offensive end. Defensively, like I mentioned earlier, defensively, he was locked in doing this thing. But on offense, and going back to that play where you mentioned that Embiid said it killed them for the game, Doc Rivers literally drew up that play for Ben Simmons to get an easy drop step and get two points and get some confidence and help his team close out the series. And Ben Simmons does everything but shoot the ball. He didn't have to go, he didn't have to go for a poster dunk. He didn't have to do anything crazy. He could have honestly just waited up at that point. But he got shook it and passed the ball. And I mean, I I I think Doc Rivers made the right in that situation, Doc Rivers made the right play by telling, you know, drawing up a play for Ben Simmons to score. Because it worked out the way that Docker had envisioned, but Ben didn't pass it. But the second that happened, Doc should have took him out, or even before that, Ben should have been getting less minutes. Just seeing, just seeing the way that he's been fail, failing his team, failing his teammates, point blank, in the entire series. Maybe there should have been, he should have put Ben in different situations, maybe having Ben off ball more, getting just putting him in the dunker spot, having him cut more, or maybe just sitting him entirely for a certain for certain stretches when he's not showing any heart. And he did mention with 54 seconds left, I think it was, which honestly I felt like was just Docker was just like, yeah, I'm tired of you. 
Because then, you know, the post game, he said he's not sure if Ben Simmons can be the starting point guard on a championship team. Yeah. That just goes to show where Doc Rivers was at with him, his feelings on Ben. But yeah, the Sixers are going to be a team to watch because you're seeing all these fake trades for like freaking Kemba Walker and these Buddy Hill. Oh I do also I, – I do have a couple other things I want to say quickly. Um, I also want to piggyback off what you said again. Like, Trey Young uh, was confident in himself too. Mm-hmm. And it's like – it's really bad. It's a really bad look on Ben Simmons to have a guy who's never been to the playoffs before in his life. Young, a young guy who, as you said, at times was inefficient. And in that game specifically, he shot five for 23. Horrible. Awful. God awful. But again – he hit timely ones because mm-hmm. he was confident and because he was ready for the moment. Regardless of how bad the last possession was, he was ready to take the next one. The thing is, if he would have missed 30 more shots, he still would have been ready. Mm-hmm. His confidence was never shook. His confidence was never, never missing. Um, ben Simmons free throw shooting. Like everybody talks about Ben Simmons free throw shooting and how bad a free throw shooter he is at the stand third. I, I I think that um if he got his free like he doesn't need a jump. I don't think number one he doesn't need a jump shot. I think it would help him a lot. It would it would change his game tremendously. But I don't think he needs a jump shot. Even if like like we look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, like him and Ben Simmons are similar. He's, you know, uh, they 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 move a little differently because Giannis is, is he's more lanky, he's longer, but it's about aggression. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who we'll get into, is aggressive, and um, when he's attacking, dear God, there's no there's nothing you can do but follow him, mm-hmm. um, or put a wall in front of him. Like people literally put a wall up to try to stop him, like putting more than one person in his way to try to stop him because he's so good. Ben Simmons, if he was that aggressive, just like coming right down to the lane, who could stop him? No one on the Hawks. No one on the Hawks. <laughs> There's very few players in the league who could actually stop him. If he got his free throw percentage, to like 65 to 70%, and he was aggressive, he could average 20, 24 points a game, easy, or more. But it's just about temperament. It's about heart, and it's about just changing his game, just being aggressive. So, yeah. Um, and, 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 and with the bogus trades, um, I really want people to stop with the bogus trades. Um, they're pissing me off. <laughs> Honest, they're pissing me off so much <laughs> because like um uh, like when like when we lost game five my first thought was just trade everybody except for Seth Curry and Joel Embiid because I was so pissed off but in my real in, in all reality if I'm you know at the end of the day I'm keeping everybody that I'm keeping Joel I'm keeping Seth I'm keeping Danny Green even though he's a little he's a little iffy but I feel like he would have really helped us in the series because I think also in this series, we were hurt because in late in late game moments, we could we didn't have a two-way player. 
Like we didn't have a player who could close on defense and offense. I think that really hurt us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I keep Danny Green. I keep Matisse Stiebel. I keep Tyrese Maxey. And I will say this. I would not trade Ben Simmons. Neither. For a couple reasons. Number one, again, he's a superstar talent. Why would you let him walk? Because the fans are tired of him. Fans are gonna be fans are gonna be tired of everybody, and fans are fans. And, and and to be honest with you, I would say a lot, like a high percentage, like maybe 80 percent of fans really don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, a lot of people who come to these games, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They watching the game, but they not paying attention to what's going on. They don't really know what's going on. They're not locked into what's going on. They're visually mm-hmm. perceiving the game. They don't right. actually understand. Yeah, right. They don't know what's going on. So don't let the hype fool you. Don't let what's going on, the memes and everything that has come Ben Simmons' way, the barrage of social media hate towards Ben Simmons fool you. And also, his value is at an all-time low right now. I'm hearing, like Stephen A. Smith said, we should try to see if we could get C.J. McCollum (laughs) for Ben Simmons. I've heard Kimball Walker. I've heard Wiggins, Pascal, and uh, Jordan Poole from the Warriors. I've heard Lowry Markin and three first-round picks and Kobe White. I've heard just, just stupid trades, just dumb, dumb, dumb trades for Ben Simmons. And I just hope the Sixers don't fall into that trap because Ben Simmons could really be a good player. Like He had 13 assists in Game 7. And he defended very well. He just, his temperament and his, his heart wasn't there. Word. Which is something that can be changed. For real. Let's transition to Brooklyn, Miami, and Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We were on Philly for quite a while, but it was all important. <laughs> Good things to talk about. I know you can get that off your chest. Yes, sir. But yeah, let's just transition to Brooklyn, Milwaukee. I guess I'll start it off. Mm-hmm. Um, first thing I want to say, shout out to Chris Middleton. All you, all you Middleton haters out there, we talk about he's going to be filling the playoffs, this and that. I've been defending him for years, and finally the moment has come where he triumphs, and he hit the big-time shot in Game 7 that won his team the game. And he had big-time shots of every game after, I think it was Game 2, and they got blown up by, like, 49, where they were down 49 at one point. Hey, God, smoke. Yeah, like, those first two games, Milwaukee was, was dookie. But after that, Middleton locked in, stepped up, was hitting shots over – who didn't matter who was guarding him, the man was scoring. He became he was being Chris Middleton, the all-star that he's supposed to be, the closer for the Milwaukee Bucks that he's that they want him to be. He's being the person that they pay him to be, which is amazing to see, especially given all the you know the, the, the Middleton hate and the just people not understanding what he brings to the table. Finally. But yeah, for real. Um Giannis. Giannis is great, great at many things. I'd say he's great at everything but shooting the ball. And even there, even there, he's not horrible. He's okay. He'll hit like 30% of his threes, which is for someone who's great at everything, that's fine. But I think his weaknesses are shooting and late game decision making. And that man, like game, what was it, game six, when he took the post fadeaway over Harden? In the clutch. It was um it was game five. Game five, yeah, the same game where KD. But ballistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like 
we're gonna talk about that KD game as well. But game five, where, where this man Giannis took the post fade over Harden in the clutch times, a one-legged Harden in the clutch time, clutch time situation. You take a post fade over him, fresh off a hamstring. He's not even fresh off; he's still hurt, but he just played anyway because his team needed him to play. Mm-hmm. Like doing things like that, and then getting shooketh when when Middleton gives him a great dump off under the basket. And there are people who say Middleton should have shot that. Shut the hell up. That's not true. Why why would you shoot a floater over Jeff Green when Giannis can easily just catch the ball and dunk it? Oh, he fumbled that. That was that. That was was bad. And that was just him just – in certain moments, Giannis just gets a little shaky. And I think that's – he needs to improve there. Everyone talks about his jump shot and his free throw shooting. Like, you know, free throw shooting, I guess, yeah. The only thing he needs to improve on for real is shooting the ball – in a decent time, like less than 15 seconds, because that's just giving to now the refs are hip to it. That's just giving the ball away at that point. So, yeah, Giannis did his thing. Middleton did his thing. Brooke Lopez had a couple off games, but he stepped up in those last three or four games. Middle, Brooke Lopez was definitely was great there. Um, you know, I had Brooklyn at six, as did you. And the fact of the matter is Milwaukee won the series because Brooklyn was hurt, point blank. Even when Harden played, he was still hurt. And this, I know a lot of people were saying Harden's a choker, this and that, because the last game, like, the dude was on one leg. Like, come on, bro. Dude was on one leg. He had 22-9-9. and nine. And even, again, like, going back to Trey Young, having a terrible game seven himself, but he ended up winning his. That's the difference. But, like, you can't get mad at someone for putting the for being inefficient when their team needs them to shoot. Because if Harden wasn't shooting, then we'd be having a whole different conversation about him seeing how he's not ready for the moment, this and that, how he's like, he, he's, he's scared of, he's scared to play this and that. The Ben Simmons and, conversation. Yeah, exactly. And if they won, we wouldn't be saying anything. We'd look at, we'd be looking at Middleton and Drew Holiday, who had a horrible game sevens efficiency-wise, and Drew Holiday had a horrible series offensively in general. But, yeah, the Harden slander, you know, I get it. He had his off games <laughs> in big games. A couple of times, so I'm not gonna see her act like he hasn't folded in big games, but like to say that he folded in this game where he shouldn't have even been playing is just you just hate him. Sad to say, like you know that's you can't you can't look at the numbers and the stats and ignore the context of the situation. That's just foolishness, especially if you're claiming that you're watching the games and they know what you're talking about. Like you can't do that. And ignore context. Like, that's just uh, you know. With anything in life, you can't just look at something and just ignore context. Then this completely disregards why certain things are happening. But yeah, um, that KD game, bro, that was probably that was one of the best games I've ever seen in my life. I was in here going crazy watching that game. The man was on one; he was locked in. Was it forty nine, seventeen, and ten? Like that was probably KD's like. Like, when we look at back at KD's career and we look at all the great games that he's had, that game's going to show up 110%. It might be the best game he's ever played. It's a shame they lost the series, and they would have won had his feet not been so damn big. <laughs> that turnaround jumper, but, you know, that was a great series. I had fun watching that. Um, I'm excited to see. God, I'm conflicted because I really don't like Giannis just because his decision-making the clutch just be poo-poo. But I love Middleton, so I'd like to see Middleton get a, a, a you know get his shot in the finals. But yeah, that series was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to see them <laughs> go against Atlanta. See if Atlanta surprises yet another team. 
because uh, even against the Knicks, they were considered the underdog going into it. But yeah, what are your thoughts, Jameer? Um, congrats, halfback dive. Congrats, <laughs> Milwaukee. Um, yes, yeah, so you escaped a series that was barred by injury. Uh, I think, as I I agree, it, 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 uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's uh, injury woes killed them. Uh, if they had a healthy Harden and healthy uh, Kyrie Irving for an entire series, um, that it, it it probably would have gone maybe five. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's just sad. It's sad. I mean, as unfortunate as it is, I'm not. I'm not too sad because it's the Nets, and they they formed this super team. And like, I really like what Stephen A. Smith said about karma and like how Kyrie was missing games all season and stuff like that. And I like I I, I don't care that much. Like if it was some other team and they were marred by injuries like this, I wouldn't care. The only reason why I feel even slightly bad is because Katie went just went nuts mm-hmm. and he played like that was probably the most heart I've ever seen him display yeah in because you know this was probably the most adverse situation he'd ever been in and he you know he didn't back down uh game that game five as you said 49 17 10 that was a masterpiece um I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't have been, you know, and I couldn't have been any more satisfied by watching that performance. And then he followed it up with a fantastic game seven where he scored 48 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, hat, hats off to KD. First off, yeah. um, I think KD with everything that was, was asked and all the questions that we had about if KD could come back from the injury, what would he be after the injury, this, that, and the third? And, yeah, he was a foot size away from being in the conference finals without Kyrie Irving and without a healthy James Harden. Against a so, tough Bucks team. We've got a very good Bucks team, yes. The best so, iteration we've had in the honest era. Yes. And they almost got sent home by one man. Yeah. Legitimately. So... <laughs> Um, so I mean, I think Brooklyn, uh, like, because you, you like you lose James Harden in game one, then by game four, you lose Kyrie Irving. So then game five, you got to play with an unhealthy James Harden, and games five through seven, you have an unhealthy James Harden. So it's just like, yeah, like they didn't have like health was not on their side, Joe Harris was a no-show. Yeah, I was going to point that out a little bit. Too. That was nuts. He couldn't hit it. That man was shooting. That man, the, 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 the net looked bigger in the regular season in, in, in this series. It looked like they closed the net for the night <laughs> every game. So I don't, I, don't, I don't know what happened to him. That was a disappearing act. I'm disappointed in him because there's been so much talk about, yeah, and Joe, and Joe Harris, and Joe Harris. Joe Harris is so good. That man is great. Where were you? Um, I think they should have used Claxton a little more because I, I was I was saying that I was I was talking about Steve Nash um, versus uh, Bootenholzer 
And I mean, it kind of just seemed like uh, it was kind of just like Giannis versus Katie, mm-hmm. and just like Katie basically just having to fight for dear life just to keep them in the series. Yeah, it didn't seem like Steve Nash was able to do anything and make any adjustments on the defensive end um, to 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 fight that off. But yeah, I felt like Claxton should have been used a lot more. And they should have went with bigger bodies just because of the fact that KD already wasn't really getting any offensive help. So I feel like you should have gone more of the defensive route to keep KD in the game. Yeah. To make it easier on him to, uh, you know, do things. So, yeah, I would have played bigger bodies. Yeah. Um, One thing that I want to note, though, as well, he mentioned the coaching battle. And honestly – with, with the Giannis thing, there's just no one on that roster to help against Giannis. I don't hold that against Steve Nash. I do think that Steve Nash actually did win the coaching battle in the series, I'd say. Because mm. especially, let's just, let's just look at Budenholzer for a second. For whatever reason, his team is playing against a team of terrible defenders, and instead of just running their offense, instead of running the high-powered offense they've been running all year, they decide to resort to isolation plays which Middleton and Drew Holiday, they can, they're, they can score, but they're not, that's not, you don't want them being, you know, running isolation for 48 minutes. And Budenholzer kept doing that. And that was weird. And like the Bucks just resorted to playing like they're the Nets for the entire series. And I don't know why they did that. And again, the only reason why they won was because injuries, because the Bucks weren't playing like the Bucks. They weren't even playing like themselves. They're just playing like a, a shitty version of the Nets which is really interesting. That was weird that they kept doing that. I mean, like Steve Nash had, he, he kept Drew Holiday out the series, despite, you know, people, you know, you'd assume that Drew Holiday would play at least up to standard, up to his standard, seeing as they had no one capable, capable of guarding him on the Nets roster. Like the only player on the Nets roster who's good at defense is Kevin Durant and Bruce Brown, I guess, played like he played a nice little Draymond role. But, you know, no one thinks that Bruce Brown is a stopper. He hasn't gotten that reputation at any point. So, yeah, I think Steve Nash did win the coaching battle. Budenholzer, because, like, now, like, I was, before the series, I thought whoever comes out the East is winning the championship, but especially with Brooklyn losing due to injury and Philly just having showing no heart for multiple players. Now I'm not sure if I believe in the Bucks as the best team left, just because seeing the way Budenholzer was struggling to beat a team with bad defense despite having Giannis and Middleton and despite having three plus offensive players against a bad defense, they still barely, they were struggling to score a lot of, a lot of points in the series. And they, you know, it went to seven because of injuries again, but like, I don't know. I just feel like if they do that against the Suns, it's not, that's not going to fly. They do that against the Clippers. It's not going to fly. But, you know, I think now, now my perception of the Bucks has changed because I've seen them get, you know, beaten defensively by a bad defense. And that's, you know, that shouldn't happen considering that they're consistently one of the best offenses year in and year out. And all of a sudden, they just start trying to play uh, ISO park basketball against the Nets team, which is built to do that. So I don't know. That was just interesting. They moved on, but like, <laughs> And I knew, they, I knew they could beat the Nets, even though it took injuries. I just don't 
I'm just not happy with the results with what I saw and how how they got there. I think they they underperformed and kind of just got lucky and got away with it. Yeah, I agree. Also, I just want to point out, um, even before the series started, we had we had some conversations. Like, if, although we picked the Nets, we there was a belief that the Bucks could outright win the series without the injuries. But seeing the way, as you said, seeing the way that they played, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how far, how much further they can go. Because, yeah, I agree that um, at this point, like, they would, if they won the series, it would be between them and Philly. But, you know, Philly is not here. And they squeezed out a series that they should have dominated in, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about the circumstances. Um, that series shouldn't have gone any more than six games. And it should have been uh, decisive um, based on the evidence that we have from previous, you know, series. Like, they look great. Like, they look phenomenal against Miami. Like, I don't know if my, Miami is decent. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't, yeah, like, oh, yeah, Miami has a good defense. They have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, who are great defenders. Um, and other great defensive, like, other pretty good defensive players. And they look fantastic against the Brooklyn Nets or the Miami Heat. And it was night and day. It just seemed as if they just forgot what they were and who they could be. I don't know. Um, yeah, that was that was very that was very fascinating to, to see. Again, shout to Middleton. Only reason why they moved on because Middleton actually showed up in those ISIS situations. Yeah, to be honest, of course, but that was a given. Yeah, and so we covered the we covered the second round. Very interesting. Now I think we you know go over our west. Let's do our West predictions real quick. Our West prediction, because it's only one game now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and just say it right now. Suns in five. I know the night we're recording after game two, and the Suns did end up winning game two with Aiton getting that amazing game-winning dunk right over Zubats. I knew they were going to do it. I knew it was going to happen. Cause he dunked on Zubats like five times in the game. Like It was just, it was just the perfect way, perfect way to end it. But even before the two games, I just feel like Suns and five for the simple fact that Kawhi is missing two games minimum. And even if he does come back, there was a speculation that he may have torn or definitely torn his Achilles, which implies that he definitely damaged it. And if he comes back, he's going to be coming back on a hurt Achilles. And seeing as they're down 0-2, I think he's going to come back sooner rather than later. And he's not going to be 100%. Mm. So, yeah, he'll come back, and he'll probably play well. But you do have to remember, too, when the championship run with the Raptors, it got to a certain point where he was, he was hurt and he was still shooting and fighting, but his efficiency, his efficiency was not there. Oh, no. And I think that's going to hurt the Clippers overall, especially once Chris Paul eventually comes back from this, this suspect as – Health proto- health and safety protocol. <laughs> this is just weird. But <laughs> that's, wild, you know, that's yeah. very weird. I don't know. I'm not gonna get into a conspiracy theory, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, once he comes back, which this honestly might be benefiting Chris Paul, because now he can get his shoulder right. 
Mm-hmm. And his team's winning anyway. So yeah, he'll come of, back healthy. Perfect storm. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect storm. A good way to put it. So just with all that happening and with the Clippers, because this isn't Gobert. Aiton will fry you. He's going to fry. Oh, yeah. the lineup, he's going, even with Zubox out there, he's frying. He, he's playing amazing. This clip, that small ball shit's not working against Aiton. If he sees that, he's going to eat. And mm-hmm. I just think the Clippers just don't do the Baca being out for the rest of the playoffs. I don't think the Clippers have any answers for a very motivated, very active, very engaged Aiton who's playing the best basketball of his NBA career. Mm-hmm. I think that's all that adding up. And you add in the fact that the Suns are a great defense. All that adding up, I think the Suns are going to take this in five. Mm. Um, my original thought was um, – my original thought was the Clippers in six, but um, seeing it, like, even before, like, even before the series started, I picked – I was picking Clippers in six, and then I was thinking Clippers in seven if um, – Cool, because like, like my mindset was like, if Paul, if Paul, like Chris Paul, is out the entire series, I'm picking the Clippers in six. Um, I'm thinking if Kawhi, like if Chris Paul comes back in the middle of the series, I'm thinking Clippers in seven. Um, and then if I'm thinking if Kawhi Leonard comes back at some point, even if he's compromised, I still think. He he's a he helps them out a lot. So I'm thinking Clippers and seven. So I'm thinking right now it's looking to me it's looking like it'll be Clippers and seven. And my that's that's my that's my that's my book because I think they'll go home. They'll make adjustments. Um, they sold tonight. I think tonight, to be quite honest with you, oh, yeah. they blew game two. They were they they should have won this game no doubt about it and the in game one they um they did a fan they they they, they were close it was a close game uh, i think that talent wise they're they're more talented even without Serge Ibaka. um they're deeper i feel like and they can turn to a lot more they have a lot more options rotation wise because pat bev for some reason is playing really well You've got Reggie Jackson, who's very confident and playing well. Um, you've got uh, Rondo, who you can still turn to. I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess he might just be reaching a point where he's getting too old. Because we, I thought we would have been seeing, you know, playoff Rondo at this point. But um, you got Paul George, Terrence Mann. You have a lot of options, and I just feel like the way that you know the way that they play, especially with the with their backs against the wall, is key. Um, so I, I think I think that this series, as interesting as as it's already been, will be very interesting, and I think that it'll probably wind up being a seven game series. I don't know. I feel like my one counter to your depth thing is it's because with the Clippers, it seems like they have more depth. They play a lot more guys, but in all reality, their rotation's not set. We don't know who's going to show up when. Versus the Suns have played the same. They have their nine-man rotation. Their nine-man rotation has shown up and performed in every game that they've played. Mm-hmm. Like, there hasn't been a game where it's like, yo, why is this guy in the rotation? Like, there are nine guys that show up every time. Even today with Booker getting his nose broken and then coming back anyway. And while he was out, like, Cam Johnson suddenly was 
hitting mad shots. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the Suns, everyone comes ready versus that Clippers team. Like, if that kind of thing happened, I don't know if someone would have came in and started hitting shots just like that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. This series has the potential to go farther, to go longer, but just, I don't know, just seeing just the situation at hand, I just think that the Clippers are have drew the short end of the stick and they're going to go home earlier than I think. Mm. I don't think they're, you know, that bad that they lose the Suns in five games. I think it's more so just the situation at hand is yeah. going to cause them to lose in five games. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Why don't we jump to the East then at this point? Mm-hmm. Why don't you start us off? Okay. Well, um, it's so hard to call because – um again just watching the heart that they that the hawks played with and everything that they did last series i mean i think it was a call like i think it was a combination of them playing well and the sixers blowing it and it might have been more of the sixers blowing it like again it, it was you know there's a lot that took place in that series but um trey young has been confident in all playoffs um you got to tip your hat to the Atlanta Hawks. I think, I think Nate McMillan has guaranteed himself a head coaching job, which I'm very happy for him. You know, he should have never been fired from the Pacers in the first place, and that proved it. He proved it here. He proved that he he belongs as a head coach in this league, and I'm I'm very happy for him, and I'm very you know proud of the job that he's done, especially as an African American coach. Um, Speaking of, shout out to shout out to the the three African American coaches that are remaining, you know, Tyloo, um, Nate McMillan, and Monty Williams, um, just showing just how much representation is important. How uh, more African Americans need a look, and just how good a job we can do when we are given an opportunity. Um, but yes, I think Nate McMillan has done a terrific job with this team, uh, they're, they're confident. They're not scared of anybody. And I think that they can come in and give Milwaukee a run for their money. I don't, I don't, I think that Milwaukee wins this series because, um, they're not going to have to deal with an injured superstar. Uh, Giannis Kumpo is coming right downhill. He's not playing any games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also kind of depends on what Milwaukee team we see, because I think, this series could go to five or it could go to seven. I'm going to say Bucks and six, but I think if we get the Bucks team that's focused and knows who they are and sticks to their guns, this could be a five game series. If we see a team that's shaky, doing weird stuff with the lineup and not making the right adjustments, as you said, against Nate McMillan, who's also a really good head coach. This series could go to seven, very surprisingly. You know, I think game one is going to tell me what I need to see because I think that the, the Hawks are on an emotional high right now. I mean, I, I, the, the Nets are, the, well, the Bucks are too, but I think the Hawks are much more of an emotional high just because of the fact that they beat a team that no one thought they could beat mm-hmm. twice already. Yeah. So especially beating the Sixers. So. If the Hawks come in game one and, like, punch him in the mouth early and make this a series, oh, boy. 
uh, it could go to, I think it could go to seven. So, um, I'll, I'll say Bucks and six though. Um, but yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts? I got Bucks and five. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, against the Sixers, there were certain, especially Danny Green getting hurt, there were certain situations where the Hawks can find an advantage. But against this Bucks team, like Herder is not doing Chris Middleton like that. No, never. Herder had a couple bad games. So against the Sixers and Seth Curry guarding him, so he's, about to, he's not doing Middleton any type of way. Holiday can definitely stick with Trey Young. Trey Young will have to. He will have another hard series where he's going to find a way to get buckets. Mm. And yeah, PJ Tucker, he's not letting Gallinari and John Collins do him do him like that. Oh no, Brook Lopez is Capella didn't even look good against the Sixers. He honestly was was no he was, against the Sixers. He was and big food. Brook Lopez can defense defensively can keep keep Capella out of the you know certain situations where he's finding success. And John Collins. Was like I expected. I did expect he'd have a better series when he played the Sixers, and he did. He performed very well. But again, John Collins is not doing Giannis like that. I'm sorry, he's not doing Giannis the way he was doing Tobias Harris. So just one through five, the Bucks have an answer for everything the Hawks have to offer. And then once you go once you go into the bench, you know things change a little bit. But nonetheless, in the playoffs. It's the start. The starters are playing 36 minutes minimum. So, yeah, I just think the Bucks are going to decimate them defensively because there's no holes in that Bucks lineup on defense. When you go player by player, no one, no one's weak individually, and they do have a good team defense for the most part when they're when they're on their shit. So, on the counter, on the other hand, on the other side of that coin. Atlanta has a lot of holes. Like Giannis is going to eat regardless, but I'm sorry, John Collins and Capella are going to get bodied. And then with Brooke Lopez being a three-point shooter, being someone who shoots threes a lot, because Embiid can shoot threes, but that's not his bread and butter. That's not who he does. But Brooke Lopez is now a three-point shooter. That's going to have Capella or John Collins. One of them is going to be chasing around a shooter. And Collins is better equipped to that, but a lot of times it may end up just being Capella just because someone has to keep up with Giannis's foot speed. So Herder's not guarding Middleton. Trey Young's not guarding anybody. And the only weak offensive player is P.J. Tucker on the Bucks. But, again, is he, is he going to be initiating the offense? No. His usage rate is, like, I think it was, like, below, one per, below like, 2% for, during the regular season. In the playoffs, it's a little higher because it's short in lineup, short in rotations. But – He's still not getting it. His usage rate's very low. He's not initiating offense. That's that's a non-factor on that end. But yeah, just with the fact that the Hawks can't stop the Bucks and the Bucks can stop the Hawks, I'm going with Bucks in five. I think they'll handle business. Um, yeah, good call. Um I do um I I wanna see what Nate McMillan bring brings to the table in terms of trying to guard the um the bucks i think one thing that he might do and that I, I would watch out for this is a play zone or b leave pj tucker because i would I, those are the two things i'm looking to do immediately i'm looking to double and i'm looking to leave pj tucker um also i would love to see if he changes rotation any kind of way to try to go uh, match them 
So yeah, I I, I wonder. I wonder what I wonder what'll happen. Also, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like also somebody I would look to, um, like even Garden, uh Danilo Gallinari off the bench is Bobby Portis. I think Bobby Portis would lock up, like, or at least slow down somebody like Danilo Gallinari. So yeah, Portis is going to get some more run this series, definitely. Oh yeah, I think I think him and Brent. I think Brent Forbes will play a lot better this series too because he'll mm-hmm. he'll have a lot more looks. So yeah, it, it, it's um, it's definitely plausible to see why you you would pick. Them in five, but yeah, yeah, I, I think I think it, it definitely either goes five or seven, just depending on what happens. Yeah, I can see that if Atlanta, like you said, punches in the mouth and Milwaukee starts shaking their boots like they love to do so so often, then yeah, I could see it going seven. But I think Milwaukee, I think after being the Nets, I don't think they're gonna shake in their boots at this point. I think they're like, all right, we, we beat the Nets, we not about lose to Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Sometimes you just realize, like, all right. It's time to time to be who you are. I think this is gonna be one of those situations. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So before we wrap up, any last second thoughts or things you want to shout out or mention? Um, I do want to mention that the NBA, the WNBA, uh, All Star voting is open. I would definitely check that out. I believe it closes June twenty seventh. So you might want to hurry up, get your votes in. I know who I got. I got my eyes on. Um, an episode about that will be coming soon. The WNBA All-Star Game. I'm sure it'll be very fun. It'll be very great. We've had a very interesting season so far. A lot of twists and turns. So um, there's some people having fantastic seasons. And I would, I would definitely take a look at that. That's it for today's episode of Game Time. This is John Mir, co-hosted by Zach. Thank you uh, to everyone tuning in. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at GameTime underscore podcast, Twitter at GameTime underscore ZNJ, as well as Facebook at GameTime with ZNJ to stay up to date on further content. To listen to future episodes, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We can't wait to talk more basketball on GameTime.